Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 Steve Cofield, RJ Bell. We got Fezzik and Brad Powers in the Wise Guys shares. Lots to get to tonight. We'll recap the day in college basketball. A little more rap on Super Bowl 52. But we wanted to come out and talk about the props and the genesis of props and an update on a great story that RJ told uh, about a week ago, going back to the original prop in a Super Bowl back at Super Bowl Twenty. Yeah, I, I'll be honest, Mr. Cofield. I think you're underselling this right now. So what we need to do is have a little bit of music because this truly is breaking. This is a breaking story. Fridge scores a touchdown, right? Did you think that was going to happen before the game, or were you shocked when the play got called? Oh, no, we weren't shocked. Because you had done it before, right? Yeah, he had scored before during the season, so we weren't shocked at the at that call at the time, no. I'm going to throw something crazy at you. There is a theory that, you tell me if Ditka mentioned this, that the year before you guys were a big dog. You guys lost to the Niners the year before? Yes. Big dog. Ditka got all pissed off that you guys were a big dog and knew that Vegas had a prop up on the fridge scoring a touchdown. It was like 50 to 1. Hey, screw them. We are going to uh, F Vegas and give it to the fridge. Just to stick it to I, I think he made a bet. <laughs> oh! I'm not positive, Ooh. but I'm, but I know, you know. I See, know, I, I, know he, I know he likes to gamble. That's not a, you know, everybody you know likes to gamble every once in a while. But wow, I'm sure he probably put some money down. 
So let's set this up. So that was Jim McMahon this week. Spoke to him on my local radio show. And we told the story about the first prop, Super Bowl 20, that the fridge touchdown at one point was 75 to 1, got that all the way down to 5 to 1. Some people say 2 to 1. You had a story behind the scenes about maybe why Ditka decided to do something that he said all week he wasn't going to do and give Fridge the ball. Yeah. And to me, what's amazing here is one, the idea that all these years later, just the idea, hey, he bet on football. Maybe he bet this thing. But what really ties it up is the story we told right here on Straight Out of the Vegas last week, which was the rumor around town here, you know, many years later, but this rumor's been around for 15, 20 years, is Ditka was so upset at Vegas for making the Bears the prior season significant underdogs against the 49ers. I think it was like a nine-point dog or so against Montana and that amazing 49er team that when he heard about this prop opening up, and remember, the fridge was a phenomenon, but he didn't score that many touchdowns right throughout the season. And even though the Tony Eason-led Patriots were a team that wasn't supposed to be super competitive, you didn't expect such a blowout. The idea that in a Super Bowl, which, let's be candid, this year was different, but for a long, long time, the conservativeness in a Super Bowl was was sky high. The idea of the Fritz scoring, I mean, 50 to 1 sounds crazy now in hindsight, but it was like you said, upwards at one point it got bet up to, or it didn't get bet, so it was up to 70 to 1. 75 to 1, it opened at 50, went to 75 to 1, but that was on the heels of Ditka early in the week telling everyone, nah, we're not going to give it to him. You know, the game's too big, it's not going to happen, which I think is another layer to the story. Like, did. Did he know he was going to do that? Did something change during so, the week? Because he threw everyone off the scent. So who, who told you that? McMahon it's, said it, that? It's documented. No, it's documented in stories uh, done in the Atlantic and by SB Nation the last couple of years. Okay. So they did the stories in hindsight about this. Okay. And what they said was Ditka referenced the prop because this was, by everyone's account, the first real prop like this ever in a Super Bowl or any game. Right. The media got wind of it. They started asking him. He took everyone off the scent. And then once the story blew up, then the entire country found out about it. And in Vegas, it got super popular. It was at the MGM. Actually, first it was at Caesars. It was Art Man Terrace who put it up. And then an hour later, Jimmy Vaccaro at the MGM put it up. So it got to 75 to 1. It blew up nationally. And all of a sudden, all this money came in to drive it down to 5. And at some spots, even as low as 2 to 1. And just to make sure we're talking correctly... Is when you talk about Jimmy Vaccaro, are you saying the Mirage or are you saying the MGM? MGM. Okay, so Vaccaro was at the MGM before the Mirage? I didn't even know that. Wow, I just learned something. Unless, that... unless the stories I read had him at the wrong location. Okay, because I know for sure when when uh, Tyson and um, lost to Buster Douglas that Jimmy was at the Mirage, and but that would have been, what, like seven, eight years later, so I guess. Okay, fair enough. Is So why would Ditka say, oh, no chance that I'm going to give the ball to Fridge unless he was purposely trying to keep the odds inflated so when he did do it, that Vegas would get hurt more. So the story that I thought was amazing last week and the feedback was really strong was, wow, we never heard that. The idea he had a vendetta against Vegas and gave it to the Fridge to hurt Vegas. But now the idea that he tried to give misinformation – 
to make him get hurt even more. That's amazing. But then you add the idea now that Jim McMahon, right, the third most famous guy from that team, right, Sweetness, Peyton, the Fridge maybe, and McMahon is saying literally this week that he probably had a bet on it. Wowza. Said it pretty flippantly. Matter of fact. Like, hey, the guy liked to gamble. He said it no, twice. No, he said more than that. He, he said, he hey, said he, you know probably he probably had a he, bet on he it. He probably had a bet on it. <laughs> Are you scared of this story, Cofield? No, I just want to get you're the like quote. Trying to... No, I want to get the quote accurate. Well, yeah, we just played it. Yeah. <laughs> Can't be any more accurate. He didn't say he possibly had a bet on it. He said he probably had a bet on it. Mm-hmm. Fezzik, what do you make of this? There were a lot of people in Chicago upset that Walter Payton didn't get a touchdown in that Super Bowl. This would explain a lot of that, wouldn't it? Which is another yeah. element to this, which is, you know, Payton was at the end of his career. He obviously was still, you know, good, but he wasn't what he was in prior years. And he had never played in a Super Bowl. So the idea, and again, I guess in hindsight, the idea of getting a touchdown and it's like getting the ring seems important, but that was a huge storyline. I mean, if I think back to that 85 season, which was one of the iconic seasons, I would say, of the last, you know, what, 40 years in the NFL. Was that Bears, right? What do we remember from that? And I was 15 years old, so this was the center of being a kid and loving football, is we remember uh, Dan Marino, Monday Night Football. I think it was week 13, I can still remember. And I remember the game was right around Pickham, and the Bears were undefeated, right? Lost that game, Marino won. The Super Bowl shuffle, right? That's what I remember. I remember one of the great defenses of all time. I remember McMahon being a wild man. And I remember the fridge scoring. And, you know, during the regular season, that was the first time, like, a defensive guy was scoring. And then in the modern era. And then lastly, I remember the controversy over... Peyton not getting a touchdown. It's like one of the seven or eight real storylines yeah. from that year. Dick has screwed over Peyton by in, going in with this junk play. In order to screw over Vegas. Or, if Jim McMahon's speculation is correct, in order to win a lot of money. Let's continue on this. I want to ask you guys if this is so far from the realm of possibility that coaches were aware of you know bets in the past. They, cert- they, they know lines. We knew that. Uh, we'll get to that here straight out of Vegas. Fox Sports Radio. It's straight out of Vegas, Fox Sports Radio, coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. Still looking back for a few minutes on Super Bowl 52, the overall take, the win for the books, how the players did, how one big player did, how Fezzik did. Pretty intriguing, pretty intriguing numbers that came out. Yeah, usually Fezzik, as a professional also, in my mind, the best prop player in the world. In my mind, the best NFL handicapper in the world. But you could debate that one. I don't think you can debate on the props. Is if the public does as well as they did, and that's all relative. So maybe we define that first. So if you look at the amount won by Las Vegas, they won. But it was the smallest win percentage-wise of handle in 10 years. And, Fez, we had talked right here a week ago, right before the big game, and we said we'd be willing to bet you and I against, you know, not soliciting bets, but we'd be willing to bet that 
the players in aggregate don't win any time in the next 10 years. And this game was not a perfect storm, but probably 80% perfect storm for the batters to win. Why? Because you had the underdog win the game outright. So there was the underdog payout. Number two, you had the props, though not fall perfectly for the batters. You had a lot of those popular props win for the batters, such as yes on a two-point conversion, yes on a missed extra point, yes on a fourth down conversion. Any other ones jump out at you? They actually attempted the two-point conversion. They never successfully got one, RJ. So the public won and won. The public still won because it was plus money on attempting but it would have been even worse if they would have converted. Oh, that's true. And and the only thing really, I guess a safety would have been really good for the batters because they love to bet safeties and overtime. And I think if those two hit, the, the batters probably win. Brady takes them down, scores the touchdown. They get the two-point conversion. It goes to overtime. And then oh. the team wins by a safety in overtime. Uh, the lights are going to burn a little dimmer in Vegas. Think about that, how close that came to fruition, right? We were that's right there. Point. That's a good point. And, and I think it really does speak... To the idea, though, that it almost took... Now, all the things we just said is one better won $10 million plus the Let It Ride better because Philly won. That was above and beyond the typical public betting the dog to win outright. And thus, even if it went over time with a two-point conversion and throw a safety in, it wasn't going to make up another $10 million. So it took, and and what ended up being won by the bookies was about $1.2 million, right? So if you add, it, let's say they didn't have to pay the 10 out to the let it ride better, now you're at $12 million. So even if it was a perfect, other than this $10 million win, which is an aberration if there ever were an aberration, it's this. And still, if it was a perfect storm on the props, perfect storm on the dog winning outright, perfect storm on over the total, the book still would have won six, seven, eight million. It seems like maybe slightly less because remember, there's a lot of buyback when the let it ride betters bet banging all his money lines. A lot of pros came in and laid minus one seventy, minus one seventy five. But you're right; it's still a significant factor. Yeah, I, I completely disagree with what you're saying. So let's think. Let's define what you're saying first because it's not clear. Is what you're saying is. Because the price was depressed on the money line on the Patriots, the reason for that depression beyond the normal, hey, people love to bet the underdog to win outright, you're saying the extra money on from the let it ride better on Philadelphia caused the money line on New England to be even more attractive, and thus incrementally there was more New England betting than there would have been otherwise. Now, we were on our podcast, and one that we actually continue throughout the basketball season leading up to March Madness, and what, what the thought was that a typical four-and-a-half-point favorite is minus 210, and you said, okay, typically it's going to be minus 210. You know, I expect to see, you know, minus 180, even minus 175s, and that's what we saw. Like it flashed 170 or 175 a couple places for you know four or five hours here or whatever there, and it was 180. So are you telling me that the typical Super Bowl 
discount on the favorite on the money line would have been significantly less than minus 180 if it weren't for this $10 million let it ride better? Looks like we got to the same point. So probably what happened, RJ, is that the book said, you know what, this is the square side. They're not the, the, the let ride better is only taken plus 165. And since he spread it around in a lot of books, they probably all lost a million to him not getting completely bounced. So you, I, I do think it was a factor, but like you said, not as big a factor. Yeah, so the theory is if something very unusual happened and they found a way to compensate for it and thus make less exposure to that Philly bet, your point would have been valid, and maybe a little bit, but I don't think, I think net-net, it was probably an $8, 9000000 million swing, or more than that as a swing, because he would have lost $7 million, right? So... I mean, and that's another way to think about it, right? Wow. See, I actually made that mistake is it wouldn't be not only they didn't have to pay out the 10, they would have won the seven that he bet. So you'd be looking at all other things equal if he had lost that bet um, and everything else stayed the same, which is obviously a weird hypothetical, then the books would have won like $17 million. So is my question then invalid? Because he won so much, do they look at it next year for the Super Bowl, these sports books and say, you know what? We don't want action like this. Because we could have won so much more if we just didn't mess with this guy. Does it actually hurt the big players and players in general? Because they look at it and said, hey, we could have made a, a monster you know, boatload of money. I've got some strong feelings on this. Let's hear what Fezzik has to say first. Oh, I think they should welcome it. Because let's face it, the Let It Ride better was only getting like plus 160 on his bets. The second any sports book put up minus 170, none of them ever had to go to minus 165. They just rolled the dice with the position. They certainly could have scalped it and made a profit. Okay, so let's take a minute and, and break all that down into English. So, <laughs> so remember, <laughs> we always talk about talk like your dad would understand. So he would have understood the scalp and make a profit. Well, the books were accepting bets from the Let It Ride Better at plus 160. So the book could have lowered their odds to the point where they would have had to lower their odds on what? On the money line. So they could have made the money line and offered minus 165 to the betters and written millions of dollars at minus 165, in my opinion. They chose not to because they wanted to have a position. They rolled the dice with it. So, Cofield, to answer your question, I think Fezzik's answer is right in regards to what is theoretically the best move, is if someone is making bad bets, even if they're really big bets, that in theory he could win, if someone walked up right now and said, I want to put $5 million on black on the roulette wheel, chances are a big casino is going to be okay with that because they've got enough handle where it could make it, obviously, if they lose, it's going to hurt their numbers, but they are positive the books, or in this case, the casino is positive EV, as they say, expected value, right? It's a profitable bet for them. So what we know is the sports books are scared. Right, They don't think as much like that as they should. They're thinking about, we don't want to have a losing month. And that's what I was getting at. And that's why I think the MGM deserves some credit, right? Is They certainly did, in a way, gouge the price, as Fezzik mentioned, where the market was like plus 180, and they made him take worse to get all that money down. But on the other hand, they did take a $3 million bet, right? So what, 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 what we talked about last night that I think is worth repeating this guy is pure guts, right? I mean, let, let's just give 
let's just give credit where credit is due when it comes to the guts. In fact, let's let's play a little homage here real quick. We got a shooter. We got a shooter. This guy is throwing the dice. That said, I would not want to follow him. And I thought the UFC, he seems to have an edge, right? Because except for the one that I followed <laughs> the biggest and lost. But I don't. And, and I'll tell you this. And, and Fezzik, you can tell me if you agree. If this were if this guy had done this exact same thing in college basketball and it was, let's say, not even, you know, let's say a West Coast type, you know, Gonzaga games or something, I would. I mean, and obviously he couldn't get down seven million dollars or whatever. But if he was betting to the limit disregarding the numbers. He didn't care. He's betting teams, not numbers. I would strongly think these games are fixed. I think based upon his results, yes, because it's so difficult to have a winning streak like he has and to bet the amount of money that he's betting. But we know he's betting World Series games. He's betting the Super Bowl. These games are not fixed. Like you said, he just has tremendous confidence in his bets. And I think that's the conclusion is since these events are almost unfixable, right? It's not 1919 with the World Series is there's no Rothsteins around either uh, fixing them is if you're taking bad numbers and the games aren't fixed, you're not going to win in the long run. So if I could buy a stock that was fading or fade or, or short the stock of the let it ride better and cross bet him, you know, not for the full amount, obviously I would aggressively cross bet him if I could, meaning if he won, I lost. And, and if he lost, I won. Would you agree with that? Fezzik? Not only will I, would I agree, I took that strategy. I played New England on the money line against him in the Super Bowl, and I lost. Yeah. But just to be clear, you weren't cross batting him. You were still having to take the, you weren't on the bookie side, right? The number might have been a little bit depressed because of his action, but you still were laying, what was your best number on the money line? Missed the minus 170. I personally laid minus 175. It would have been a lot better to lay 155 like the MGM did and when they gouged him on that bet. And I would have bet a lot more minus 155. I want to know next year, are we having this conversation, if the books are scared and what kind of bets they're going to take? Because I think a lot is going to change this year. But first, Steve DeSager with the latest. Thank you very much. We'll start with the Winter Olympics in South Korea. Tonight's men's downhill was postponed by high winds. Red Gerard of the U.S., age 17, won gold in snowboard slope style. Then the women's event was postponed to tomorrow due to the bad weather. At the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, Dustin Johnson is tied for the lead. Daytona 500 qualifying is on Fox TV tomorrow. Pitcher Hugh Darvish agreed to a six-year deal with the Cubs. The contract does have an opt-out clause after year two. Great news. There's a quick way you can save money. Switch to Geico. Go to Geico. Geico.com. And in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. In the NBA, New Orleans led by 28 in the third quarter at Brooklyn. Blew that lead, but New Orleans won in double overtime anyway. 138-128. Anthony Davis, 44 points. Milwaukee and Philadelphia with wins. Washington and Dallas as well. The worst team in the West beat the Lakers 130-123. to But Isaiah Thomas did have 22 points off the bench in his Laker debut. Denver and Golden State with wins. Warriors beat San Antonio 122-105. to In college basketball, number one Villanova came back to beat Butler. And number two Virginia lost in overtime at home to Virginia. 
Virginia Tech, 61-60. Fourth-ranked Michigan State with a late three-pointer. Beat number three, Purdue, 68-65. And fifth-ranked Xavier got two free throws in the final second to win at Creighton, 72-71. Baylor upset Kansas. Alabama torched number 15, Tennessee. Iowa State and Oklahoma State each with upset victories. Same for Texas A&M and Boston College. Wins tonight for Gonzaga and Arizona. Back to you. Thanks, Steve. So my final question on the Super Bowl, and it's Steve Cofield along with Fezzik and Brett Powers in the Wise Guys chairs and R.J. Bell here as well, straight out of Vegas on this Saturday night. We were talking about big bettors beating up the sports books in Las Vegas, and if it's going to change their attitude, they won't take the big bets next year. Will they have a choice, R.J., with what's on the way with legalized sports gambling if it does happen and 12 to 15 states are in the game and there's different bookmakers out there? Doesn't it change Everything about Vegas's attitude when it comes to big bets? Yeah, but remember now is, one, we're not certain there's going to be legalization, though I think most people agree that no, and I listen to them. I don't have any great special insight. Is It's over 90% to the positive that legalization will stem from, or at least the states will have the right to vote for or, or pass laws that allow sports betting, right? Right now, they're prohibited. Um, but in Vegas, how does it change things? Meaning, let's just say, let's just do a quick hypothetical. Pennsylvania, or no, Jersey, obviously, is going to be the most obvious. Jersey has it come the 2018 football season, right? And who's going to be there? I think initially, you're going to see some Vegas books out there, right? MGM, whatever. I don't know, right? Maybe one of those, one kind of the usual suspects won't do it but let's assume it's mostly the usual suspects the first year what's going to happen after that you're going to get the european books ladbrokes and um william hill obviously they're in vegas too william hill is they're going to want to get involved right okay so now there's some more competition but that's in jersey right i guess my thought would but, be but the point hey. i'm making is why would what's the scenario that it gets more competitive in nevada my point is, if California is live and Verizon slash Yahoo get into the game, that's a whole different ballgame. In California. But potentially. In California. Right. Well, the whole, the whole discussion is, do people, have to, I think it's to, important to people re- have to fly to Nevada to get you know, three, you know, $3 million bets down and $7 uh-huh. million total? What if they have more options? Now, I agree with you 100% that if you're looking to make the monster bets— it's probably a situation where initially a, a new company. Now, we talked about the European books. We've talked about the idea of the Vegas books going to Jersey, let's say. Um, also, though, there could be a new book, right? It's Verizon, uh, an, uh, you know, new bookmaker, however you want to say it. Uh, Verizon partners with so and so, and there they go. My gut feeling, and we had a dinner about five, six weeks ago before the show with the whole crew, the whole. Wise guy roundtable here, and my speculation will be, and we'll we'll see if I'm right, that as betting becomes bigger and bigger across the country, more and more regulated, more and more legal, there's going to be less tolerance for the sharpest of the sharp. The Brad Powers, the Steve Fezziks, they are going to have even more trouble, it's my belief, getting their bets down. Now, Steve Cofield, you're going to be fine. Yes. I mean, you, 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 they can will just, take my action. You, you can rest at every easy. turn. Yeah. You can rest <laughs> easy. Right. Is, and here's why is imagine a situation where you're in a small town. I like to make it with dating. and so Everyone can kind of relate to that. You're in a small town. 
I had 76 kids in my graduating class, right? So it was like, uh, you know, 30 some girls and, you know, 30 some boys. You had a small group to choose from, right? Now imagine, lo and behold, you go to a new school and there's 360. You're, the things you probably would have put up with, with a potential girlfriend, with a small selection, probably don't put up with if you have a choice, right? Well, Fezzik is like a girlfriend that it never stops talking. Right. She might be cute, but you're thinking, God, I have to really put up with all of this blabbering. But now imagine you don't have to put up with Fezzik anymore. You're a bookmaker and you look at him and you're like, God, we need the action right now today. But yeah, he's tough. Well, when you don't need the action, when the action's 10 times as big, you're going to say Fezzik. Bye bye. Bye bye. So I think, yes, it's going to be great that gambling spreads out, but I think amongst the sharpest batters and potentially the biggest batters, there might even be less of an appetite. Agree, disagree. Is it going to be harder for well, he, big ballers to get down their bets? He's hoping with more not, We know that much. I'm actually going to disagree. Oh, there Ooh. we go. Imagine and, that. Crossfire. And, and, and here's why. Whenever, my experience has always been when books are making a whole lot of money, then all of a sudden, bleeding a little out to the sharps is not as big a deal. The best example I can so, give— So, but, but to what end? See, you're thinking like some some guy that didn't graduate high school that's running some book in Curacao. That's how they think. And they are street smart. No one's questioning how street smart those guys are, right? I don't want to get in a three-card Monty game with them. No doubt about <laughs> it. But, but— that's not how business people think. And let me finish my point here. Serious business people are looking at every do- – you find me one serious businessman that says, oh, you know, we're making so much money on this offer. Yeah, don't worry about that waste over there. I think maybe it's a different world, RJ. Maybe you're right. My experience is from as a pro better. I used to go up to Reno. They were making so much money up in Reno that I'd go up there. They knew I was a sharp, and they just didn't care because they were printing – money up there, but you're right. It's a different world. And also if it's one sharp and who's to say they weren't, because here's the debate that happens all the time, which is it's better to get the sharp. Let's say Fezzik walks up and bets $5,000 on an NBA game. Okay. Is they're thinking, okay, or let's say you have a 10% return on investment. So you bet 5,000 at best, you're expected to win 500 Per bet in the long term. Agree? I agree. It's more like 1%. Well, I hope it's more than 1%. Oh, if you're ROI? Hitting, if you're hitting 53%, that's like a 1% ROI. Yeah, but if you're hitting 53, you're probably betting too many games. So give right? me 54, 3% ROI. All right. A lot of numbers there. So let's call it around, let's call it around that, right? Okay. Now they're thinking for the cost of, you know, 500 or less, um, we just learn who's the right side in this game. Oh, by the way, you can go to pregame.com and learn by just you know, reading Fezzik's picks. But in this case, they're taking the $5,000 bet to learn. Now they can say, wow, the market is at a certain number. We're going to move it a half a point to say Fezzik's right and try to attract a lot of action on the other side. Smart old school bookmakers will take some sharp action in order to know where the number should be, right? Well, I think as time moves on, there's less and less that of that. I think when we go legalization, there's going to be even less of that, but you were probably one of the handful few sharps that were up there and you were only up there now and again. I can promise you if you and all your sharp buddies moved up to Reno and camped out, <laughs> right? So Brad, you actually have a good example of this. There, there's a book 
in uh, Mesquite or multiple books in Mesquite that you were picking off and then things change. Maybe give us a quick recap, 60 seconds on that. Yeah, absolutely. And we're not talking college basketball or the NBA. We're talking NFL, regular season, week 17. I go up to this place in Mesquite looking to get better numbers. And lo and behold, better numbers. I'm shopping around, picking off numbers around key numbers like three and seven, your general football scores, taking underdogs plus three and a half, plus seven and a half. And what happened is after my initial $500 bet, a lot of them have, you know, took a while to get a bet down. And it says awaiting for approval. And lo and behold, they would not take my bets on an NFL game and, you know, gave so me a how, different line. So how long were you able to go up? Just one guy betting not crazy amounts of money. How long were you able to bet before they started making it more difficult? This was the first time I was able to go up there this year. One time. One time. So, Fez, I, I mean, my gut feeling is that what we're seeing is when the world is doing something, you don't need, as a business, the aficionados, especially if the aficionados are causing you trouble. Well, that's right? a great example, right, where the Virgin River, I, apparently that stands for, that's the book in Mesquite, for you have to be a virgin to be able to bet big against them. <laughs> a, a virgin in what way? <laughs> Never First winning, time better. Never winning a super contest? First time better it. against them. The Fezzik humor. I love it. You're calling it humor? <laughs> yeah, I thought it was funny. <laughs> yes. Straight out of Vegas brought to you by Granger, the products and services you need when you need them. Granger's got your back to help keep your facility running. Granger for the ones who get it done. On the way back, let's get into college basketball. Uh, Brad Powers, after a day of watching Saturday games, has his teams that are overrated and underrated moving forward. Straight out of Vegas, Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas, Fox Sports Radio on a Saturday into a Sunday. Steve Cofield, RJ Bell, Brad Powers, and Fezzik are in the wise guys' chairs. Let's get to the Saturday college basketball slate. We got a set of a trio of uh, overrated and then underrated teams. First of all, Villanova, they won 86 75. They covered against Butler. Where are they? This is a new segment. Uh, and I, I think Brad's going to do such a good job with it, but just to kind of set what we're trying to do. Bunch of games every Saturday, right? So Saturday night, we're going to tell you the games that were noteworthy, no doubt, the individual games. But we want to tie it to the narrative, the ebbs and flows of these teams. So it's there was a result today that feeds into the narrative of teams being overrated, overvalued, or undervalued, and the first one. Villanova overrated, and here's why. You mentioned they covered. That's the key word there. They covered today. Very misleading. The only time they were covering this entire 40 minutes of action against Butler today was after they made their final basket in the final 30 seconds. Down double digits in the first half, down at halftime, even down in the second half in parts. The only time they covered is at the very end. And here's another reason why they're overrated. Here's a team that usually plays Villanova with an eight-man rotation. Right now they're missing two starters. So really they only have six guys they can go to right now and a very depth-shy team in a very tough Big East league. Villanova overrated. Not saying they're going to lose a bunch of games, but I'm saying they're overrated laying these big point spreads. I'd rather fade Villanova going forward. Okay, so depth is the main problem with Villanova. Depth is a huge issue. Two start, two of their top eight guys are out right now. They should get one guy back in the next week or so. The other guy might be out a couple more weeks. So as a conceptual handicapper in college basketball, I'm thinking 
I want to look to play against them, especially against fast-paced teams, perhaps, where depth matters more? Yeah, I would say that this is a team, especially on the defensive side of the ball, not nearly as good as what they were last year. And also, when they're laying huge double-digit point spreads, to me, I think Villanova's, let's get our guys back healthy, and let's get in and get out of the game. I don't think they have any need to really blow teams out. All right, so that's a very interesting point. So you're saying if they're laying big lumber and thinness makes it where – one, they probably don't play their starters as long as they might if they were deeper. And then number two, the guys they put in aren't as good, and thus they they likely won't extend leads, Villanova. Exactly. What I love about this game is the wise guys tipped their hand on Villanova. Nova was laying 10 in this game, and the wise guys came in, took the 10, took the 9.5, and, and didn't get there. They lost, but they're giving us this extra information. They don't like this team. We don't like this team. We'll make money fading them going forward. So Villanova, we're talking about being overrated. One last question. You had, Brad, an amazing stat last night. Remember, guys, straight out of Vegas, Friday night, 11 Pacific to midnight, three hours earlier or later on the East Coast. And Saturday night, 10 to midnight, we need the extra hour with all of the action. You made a great point yesterday, which was Villanova had lost, and you'll have the numbers right in front of you, like three games out of a big chunk of games against everyone but Butler. And against Butler, they had lost three games very recently. So give us that stat first. Yeah, coming into today, Villanova the last two years, 0-3 against Butler, 54-3 and straight up against everyone else. <laughs> now, here's the question. To have that history, and we talked about it on the show last night, that, that made Butler potentially good matchups player-wise, good matchups schematically. For Villanova, however it happened, to cover, to by definition, to exceed expectation, isn't that maybe a buy sign? Uh, well, uh, Not I'm, a buy sign, but doesn't it mitigate a little bit this idea they're so overrated? I think it's going to be a buy sign for the general, you know, maybe a little bit sharper than average public better. They're going to say, hey, Villanova's banged up. They usually struggle with Butler. They, they covered. They won by double digits. Let's buy Villanova. I would say pump the brakes a little bit. That misleading final, the fact that they were able to get the cover in the final seconds, says to me I'm a little cautious. Next team, Brad says, is overrated. Oklahoma laying six. Beaten outright by Iowa State. Well, on our podcast, I've been saying Oklahoma has been overrated for weeks now, and it's because of one single guy, one single player, Trey Young, the nation's leader in scoring and in assists. And everyone, as far as the general public, likes the bet offense. And they, they what's the storyline? A lot of times the lead story on some of these sports shows is Trey Young in college basketball. After the national championship in football is over, everyone starts turning their attention yeah, yeah. to college basketball. One in seven against the spread is Oklahoma, and today they lost outright. Here's a team that's in the top 20 until the new poll comes out. They're not even in my top 30 to 35, and they're going from probably top five in the country like they were a month ago to I think there's a strong chance that they're going to be on the bubble when it's all said and done. And I think the freshman wall, right, now more than ever in college basketball, or at least in the modern era, it's more than ever, these young players matter. Or the one-and-done guys or even the two-and-done guys matter, but they're not used to playing all these games. And one of the points you made on the podcast, Brad, and by the way, go to pregame.com for that or my Twitter, at RJ in Vegas, and that comes out every Wednesday morning. It's a weekly basketball pod. Brad on the colleges, Fezzik on the pros, really good stuff, great response so far. You made the point, Brad, that with Young, he not only has 
such a high percentage of the scoring, but he's handling the ball so much that the fatigue factor, the freshman wall with him, is probably worse than even a typical freshman. And he already mentioned this in the, the game prior to the day against West Virginia, a pressing team. He says, hey, I'm not feeling 100%. I'm just, my legs aren't in it. Today, 7 of 21 from the field. Doesn't get any easier, right? Coming up at their next three games at Texas Tech, top five team defensively. Texas, a pressing style team that gets in his face. And at Kansas, I mean, Oklahoma, I think that this one in seven streak, as far as me maybe betting and projecting forward, I think it's going to continue. So it's one in seven against the spread. Last eight games, yes. Yep. Disastrous on the road as well. 0-6 against the spread. Last six road games against teams with a winning record. Michigan State-Purdue breakdown. Overrated, underrated. We'll get to it on Straight Out of Vegas. Straight Out of Vegas! We're coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. You heard it. Hour two of Straight Out of Vegas. It's Steve Cofield along with RJ Bell. And two wise guys with us. Two wise guys. Brad Powers, college basketball specialist. And he was on fire the end of the last hour. And we've got overrated and underrated teams from today's action still to go and Steve Fezzik NFL specialist NBA specialist we'll be talking LeBron where's LeBron going we've got odds on it overrated underrated we've got one game that has both so Michigan State beats Purdue laying three 68 65 overrated is yeah believe it or not I got an overrated and underrated out of this game even though it fell right on the number Michigan State's favored by three one by three I'm saying Michigan State's overrated, and here's why. Number one, they won the game on a last-second shot, and for the most part, were outplayed by Purdue, trailed at halftime in the game, did come from behind. Here's a Michigan State team that's won six straight games but has not covered in any of them. They're 0-4-2 against the spread, and I don't think the markets are They're going to obviously you know, see that 0-4-2, but because they're winning the game straight up, they're not going to adjust their lines enough. I'm going to fade Michigan State, not only because of the buzzer-beating win today on a three-point shot, but the Iowa game was another game that they won prior to this game in the final seconds. They're two coin flips away from on a two-game losing streak. Purdue is your underrated team. They are. And here's I just talked about Michigan State being a team that just won two coin flip games. Purdue just lost two coin flip games against top 10 teams earlier this past week. Lost on a buzzer beater at home to Ohio State. And now this past week, or today, actually lost to Michigan State on another buzzer beater. A team prior to that had won 19 straight games. Very well balanced. Top 10 offense, top 10 defense. I ain't going to buy the Boilermakers in their next game at, at Wisconsin. Okay, so Purdue and Michigan State, one team overrated, one team underrated, played each other today. Watching the game, looking at the box score, if this game were played again, you know, we during the college football season, we talked about faulty finals, deceiving final scores. Was this, I, I get the idea, the last bucket was very meaningful ATS, right? All buckets in basketball are not created equal. Some of them are pretty meaningless. Some of them swing who wins. This was one that got it near a push, right? Yeah. Is who should have covered this game? Purdue should have covered this game. So, and, so it's not only it took that last bucket for Michigan State not to lose, to push the game. 
you're saying they were lucky to even be Michigan State in that spot. Yeah, I thought Purdue completely outplayed him. Purdue was in a bad spot. Keep in mind, Purdue just had played Ohio State a very high-intensive game. One day less rest, traveling. Michigan State should have been the team that came out strong. It was opposite. It was Purdue. If I had to remake the line, and keep in mind, Michigan State was favored by three today. After watching that, if I had to redo the line, I would say Michigan State should have been favored by one and a half. And let's talk about this Purdue team and possible value in the futures markets. They only have four losses all year long. All four of them by four or fewer points. They basically have lost every close game that's come down the wire all year long. They should only have two losses. If that was the case, they'd be a lock to be a number one seed. Purdue. But, but here's the concern with Purdue. There's a reason why they've lost those games. Is Purdue's a very senior-laden team, very upperclassman. But I'll tell you, in college basketball, if you're with juniors and seniors, why? Because if you're super talented, wouldn't you be already off to the NBA? So I'm actually concerned if they get in a lot of these tight, close games, they don't have that NBA lottery pick, that go-to score that they can go to and yeah, close out games. But, but we can debate that till we're blue, right? Because if you read, and it matters when you read or wh when it was written, the handicapping theory. Because on one hand, having mature teams, experienced teams in the tournaments, both conference and the postseason, uh, is oftentimes identified as being super important. Right, so experience, so that yes. would be good for Purdue. Right, that is good. Now, on the other hand, it's this idea of having a Michael Jordan type guy you can get on his back. But the question becomes: if someone's that good, why are they a junior or senior? Personally, I'd rather if now obviously if it's the best freshman in the world versus some mediocre seniors, I'd rather bet. But all things equal, if it's a close call, I would rather have the the experience. Right, I don't agree with you at all. All right. At all. Like his NBA potential does not really give us an indication of who's good in winning time. The reason you're not an NBA prospect now, a lot of times. I think it can or, be. But the if, reason if you're if not that good. But. Yeah, yeah. The reason you're not an NBA prospect a lot of times is because you're a 5'11 point guard, not 6'2. You're a 6'6 inside player, not 6'10. Mm. Mm. You know, so I would rather that. have juniors and seniors in winning time than hotshot freshmen who a lot of times don't know what they're doing against experienced teams. But who's winning national titles? Duke, that, that has a lot of one-and-dones. Kentucky's won a national title recently. North Carolina. Uh, who's the most consistent team recently, postseason? Who are most people the, the highest on? Villanova. Because most of their guys stay around. And But I think Brad's point makes my point about there is an exception to your very good point, Cofield, which is that the reasons that someone typically might be an NBA high draft choice aren't always the reasons that make you a good or excellent even college basketball player. But if you're a transcendent top three type pick, it's going to translate in college. So the Dukes of the world or whatever, or the Kentuckys when they're rolling, it may, I'd rather have the best player in the country. It's a freshman, right? But other than that, I think the experience matters more. One last underrated team, according to you. Well, this ho is a hold team. on, though. Hold on. Yes. This one, because I disagree with Brad. <laughs> you disagree with Brad. A victim of the infamous Malachi Crunch. We did kind of sandwich him there. <laughs> yeah. He fought back a little bit. Hey, he did. He say, he was smart, though. When you're in a losing position, this is very political. You make one little kind of not that important distinction, and everyone just nods, and it feels, <laughs> it feels better as you move on. 
That's one of my tricks. Underrated team, Notre Dame. And I like Notre Dame. If they get healthy and maybe they're starting to put it together now, that was a good win today against Florida State 84-69. All right, so Notre Dame, coming into the season, high expectations. They lived up to them. They won more, one of the more prestigious preseason tournaments, the Maui Invitational. They're a top 10, top 15 team. But they lose three starters over the course of the, the season. They lose seven straight games. They get their point guard back here recently. Notre Dame covers and has a good performance against Boston College. Now today, I finally saw signs that this team is probably the buy signs coming on. They win and cover in blowout fashion against a good Florida State team, and they're going to get their second starter back sometime this week. And, and we're, we're talking about who? We're talking about Notre Dame. And Bonzi Colson, the preseason ACC Player of the Year. That's my coming, guy. Exactly the kind of guy I talk about, right? Coming, Why is Bonzi Colson not in the NBA? Well. Already. Well, he's only 6'6". Six, six. Exactly. But gr- quick stat on Bonzi Colson. Last year, led the ACC in rebounding. The shortest guy to lead the ACC in rebounding since the 50s at 6'6". Six, six. So, guy doesn't have the measurables, but is a good college basketball player. He comes back in a couple weeks. Here's a Notre Dame team that they can just get the 500 in ACC play. They're going to think that they're on the tournament bubble. A bye team at the end of the regular season. Bye team in ACC tournament play. If they're thinking they have a chance at the NCAA tournament, the Fighting Irish. Three more college basketball results to close out with from the Saturday slate. Nebraska, 67-55 over Rutgers. Lang, 9.5. run against the spread for the Huskers. And, and this is something that cannot, for the most part, happen in college football. A run like this against the spread because it just gets too much notice. In college basketball, when you have 350 Division One teams, when you really don't come to the forefront of the betting markets until after the college football season over and after the Super Bowl is over, Nebraska has completely defied the markets and has been underrated by several points. 15-1 against the spread. Still think there's slight value, but the market, I'm starting, as far as comparison to my power ratings, starting to catch up. They're rated a couple points higher than what they were maybe two, three weeks ago. So 15-1 and one against the spread. So by definition, the spread is expectations and they've exceeded expectations 15 of 16 games. But what makes that even harder is the expectations get higher and higher as you win and win. And it's one thing to be 8 and 3 or even 16 and 6, which is very profitable, right? Very uh exceeding expectations. But when it's so much that on a national radio show where we only are going through less than 10 games on a huge card, we're mentioning it once you get to that point, then an average batter is going to see Nebraska on the schedule next game and say, huh, maybe I want to bet them. And thus they get more expensive and still they've exceeded expectations. What is the anatomy of an underrated team in the case of Nebraska? Specifically, why have they been so underrated? Well, I think they're getting overlooked in the Big Ten conference. Basically, the storyline's been Purdue and Michigan State at the top, and they've already had one major surprise team in the conference, Ohio State, arguably the biggest surprise team in the country. So a Nebraska team that, that keep in mind, at the start of this streak, they weren't necessarily winning games. They were just covering spreads. So amongst the 16 games, what's their straight-up record? Uh, they're, they're like sitting like 10 and 6 uh, out of those 16 games. So it's not been like they've been winning and covering a, a lot of them. Yeah, in the last eight games, they inserted Roby and Gill into the starting lineup. They juggled their starting lineup, and they've been playing much better with that juggled lineup. Rapid fire point on Gonzaga again beating St. Mary's and beating them pretty easily. 
Yeah, so let's not overreact to the Zags. Super impressive win. They go into St. Mary's, a fine team, and they crush St. Mary's. They're up 20-5 to early, but this was a home run spot for Gonzaga. They had lost at home against St. Mary's, so it was payback time. So I wouldn't get so caught up with Gonzaga being a contender in the big dance. And I think that's an important point that can apply to different handicapping situations, which is a team has a victory. It's impressive. But understand, was it a good or bad situation for him? Fezzik saying Gonzaga was in such a good situation that you got to downgrade that win just a little bit. We have a great story coming back today. Super Bowl winning coach actually place a bet on the Super Bowl that he won. That's up next straight out of Vegas, Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas, Steve Cofield, RJ Bell. We got... Brad Powers and Fezzik in the wise guys' chairs. You have one more college basketball game we want to hit, Brad. Hold on Kentucky. a second. Hold on. Uh-oh. I love, you know, we have the same intro songs, right? And as the months have gone by, you are sooner and sooner, whereas you used to wait like, you know, four seconds. Now you're, but with Elvis, you always let him say nightlife a second time. It's like respect for Elvis. I like, kinda, I've I kinda, like it. I've kind of started dissing Drake a little bit, haven't I? No, I'm just saying. I think you're I dissing jump in on everyone, Drake. everyone but Elvis. I jump in on Drake pretty early now. <laughs> Elvis, you can keep going you just the whole wait. way. You Look, just I wait. got him in the background. Crack it up. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Kentucky, Texas A&M. Kentucky loses again, and not even really close. It was, what, 85-74? What's going on with Kentucky? Well, uh, believe it or not, I think it's a talent issue. So let's talk Kentucky Kentucky here. has a talent issue. Yes. So the one-and-done era. For eight consecutive NBA drafts, Kentucky's had at least one top-seven pick. But if you believe in any of the early mock drafts, they don't have a single guy in the top 10 or 12 that's being projected right now. Keep in mind, Kentucky, only team in the country, top six scores. All freshmen for Kentucky. So you got an upgraded SEC with Auburn, Tennessee, teams that are coming out of nowhere, top 15 caliber teams, and Kentucky being a little bit less talented. They don't have the superstar type of freshman that they've had each of the last seven, eight years. That's a big reason why they're struggling. And keep in mind, it's worse than what we've seen here. They're one really great half against West Virginia a couple of Saturdays ago from maybe losing six, seven games in a row here. Here's the thing, though. Close listeners – to straight out of Vegas might say, wait a minute, we just said how good you are in college doesn't correlate to how good you are in the NBA, and you're quoting NBA potential to try to diminish Kentucky. Yeah, if you don't have teamwork, if you don't have cohesion, all the things that come with time, you better have the pure talent. And I'm sure if this Kentucky team stayed together for four, you know, like everyone went till they were a senior, this would be a you know a national championship level team. See what Calipari's built here. What he's been great at in the past is getting them to play defense. We're talking about the one and dones. But he's got a ton of stretch fours who all want to play outside because that's you know that's how you get to the NBA and they just are this unit is just not good enough defensively. Yeah, he doesn't have a good dribble drive penetrator like a Derrick Rose or John Wall either at the point guard spot. But I'll say this bad news for Kentucky fans this year probably means good news for next year's team because there's a good chance that a lot of these guys, instead of going out for the draft, come back next year. And when you got a top-two recruiting class coming in, Kentucky will be that team again next year. We need to set up an over-under, and I'll bet you on that. I bet you they still go to the NBA. Right, oh, I, I'll kids write do, you right on. Kids do not freaking care. They can be underwhelming, and they're like, hey, if I'm projected top 20, I'm going. Maybe it makes sense because wouldn't you rather go to a 
you know, not San Antonio, there aren't going to be 20, right? But if you're, to me, if I were a kid, now obviously it's tough because you want the shore money, right? If you go top three, even if you're a bust, you're going to be okay. But if you're thinking about your career, wouldn't you much rather go to a playoff team and then be a seventh man for a while than have to be the focus of a team that wins 18 games? But then you're playing games at the back end of the first round where you may not be drafted as a first no, rounder no, yeah. or not get the guaranteed money. That's why I mentioned the cutoff for me is 20. I need to know from scouts yeah. if I'm going in the top 20. And then I cannot pass up that money because I could come back the next year, tear a knee, and never be the same player again. It's happened. We've seen it, right? Guys have come back, and then their stock actually goes backwards. So we had a great story on Straight Out of Vegas. We were talking about prop bets, and R.J. Bell was talking about Super Bowl twenty, the William, the refrigerator, Perry, touchdown. Well, listen, prop. it was a fun story last week, but what the reporting you've done and, quite frankly, the scoop Steve Cofield pulled off, this is going to be like, listen up, turn up the radio. In fact, we got an intro song. This is such a big story. This story, I'll make a little prediction, is going to be all over the place by Monday afternoon. All right, let's recap last week. Get the, get the big drums. <laughs> hey, this deserves it. Let's recap last week. So we were talking props, and it came up. What was the first prop ever in Vegas? And that was 1985, Chicago Bears, the fridge. William, the fridge, Perry. He had scored, I don't know, five, six touchdowns, if I remember. It wasn't that many. Maybe it was even less than that during the regular season. It was one of the first, if not the first, big defensive linemen to come in at the goal line and score, right? So when this game, which was against the New England Patriots, but not with Belichick, obviously, in 85, with Tony Eason at quarterback, this Bears team was being talked about as the best team in NFL history. It really was at the time. And to this day, when they talk about the best defenses in history, it's the Ravens, the year they won the Super Bowl early this century, the first time. It's the 85 Bears, and it's the Steelers from, you know, actually the Steelers' best defense was probably Super Bowl eleven that they didn't make. Their last 10 games of the year, they gave up 30 points. 30 points in 10 games. Imagine that. And the Steelers didn't even make the Super Bowl that year. So this was a great Bears team. So now the question is, how do we make this game more interesting? And the prop was, Steve? Will he score a touchdown in the game? Will Fridge score a touchdown in the game? And it was posted by Caesars at 50-1. to 1. The MGM quickly picked it up and posted it an hour later. And actually, initially, the money didn't come in on the yes it was a situation where the odds went all the way up to 75 to one because Ditka at the beginning of the week is like, no, 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 no. I know he scored two touchdowns. The fridge did during the regular so season. So that was, it was two touchdowns. It was actually two touchdowns. I know we used them, but come on, it's a Super Bowl. It's not going to happen. Okay. So now that's fascinating. One is even back in 85 in 86, you know, early in the year is the, the, the first prop ever is big enough, got enough attention that it's asked, to Dicka in, you know, the Super Bowl press, right? Then the idea of even addressing it, you know, most coaches would say, oh, I, I don't want to, you know, we don't encourage batting. I don't even know what you're talking about, right? He addresses it and he kind of communicates, hey, here's the right side. The right side is to stay away from that prop. But, but for some reason, 
and maybe we're going to find that reason out here in a minute. For some reason, they were betting the heck out of betters the yes. And it went from 75 to 1, Fridge would score, all the way down to? Down to 5 to 1, some places maybe 3 to 1. It went way down. Way, way. So massive, massive money on yes on the fridge. Okay. Now, we can all say, and this is what we talked about last week, that when Ditka actually did make the play call, Walter Payton, no touchdown for you, Fridge. Yes, your third touchdown, I guess, is the rumor that went around Vegas for 20 years is that Ditka was mad at Vegas because the prior year, the Bears were made such big underdogs against the 49ers, Joe Montana and Coach Walsh, a great team. They were almost double-digit dogs, and he felt like that demoralized their team. They lost 23 nothing in that game. They had no shot. They were flat. Uh, the Bears. And to me, and then even after the fact, you're going to be even more mad. Like, see, that caused my team to not think they had a chance. So that was a heck of a story. But, Cofield, you didn't leave it at that. No. Uh, Jim McMahon was actually in studio on my local show this week. And I'm like, you know what? Let me try it. Let me tell him the story and ask him if it's believable that Ditka was mad. And that's why he gave Fridge the ball. Fridge scores a touchdown, right? Did you think that was going to happen before the game, or were you shocked when the play got called? Uh, no, we weren't shocked. Because you had done it before, right? Yeah, he had scored before during the season, so we weren't shocked at, the, at that call at the time, no. I'm going to throw something crazy at you. There is a theory that, you tell me if Ditka mentioned this, that the year before you guys were a big dog. You guys lost to the Niners the year before? Yes. Big dog. Ditka got all pissed off that you guys were a big dog and knew that Vegas had a prop up on the fridge scoring a touchdown. It was like 50-1. to 1. Hey, screw them. We are going to uh, F Vegas and give it to the fridge just to stick I, it to I, I think he made a bet. Oh! <laughs> I'm not Ooh. positive, but, I'm, but I know, you know, I, See, know, I, I, know he, I know he likes to gamble. That's not, a, you know, everybody, you know, likes to gamble every once in a while, but wow. I'm sure he probably put some money down. Let's not bury the lead. This is a quote verbatim. I think he made a bet. I mean, really? <laughs> Doesn't it all fit, though? Think about it. Is He tries to put him off the scent, the, the media, by saying, oh, no, this isn't going to happen. Everyone is shocked when it happens because Peyton, it's one thing if Peyton had a touchdown or two, the idea that Fridge gets a touchdown, but Walter Peyton, one of the greatest Bears in history, doesn't. And it's one thing to think, oh, it's a vendetta against Vegas, but is that big enough? Is that big enough to make you not give Sweetness his touchdown? But imagine, and what drove that number down? If the number started at 50 to 1 and just dropped straight, straight down, you could say they made a bad number to start with, right? And people just thought it was better chance, so they bet it better. If it goes from 50 to 1 to 75 to 1 on the fridge scoring, and then it reverses itself all the way down to 3 to 1, and Ditka's saying, no, you shouldn't bet it. Boy, I never understood that line movement. But maybe we do now. Do you think there's any chance that the Ditka bet, the info that he may have put money down on it, got out? And that people had inside information? Or was it only driven by the public down? No. I mean, here's the thing. If, and again, Jim McMahon quoted again, I think he made a bet. And the question was on the fridge prop, right? But if Ditka is trying to stick it to Vegas, if he's going to take the chance to do something like this, 
Doesn't he tell his five or six or seven best buddies? Do you really think, and again, I'm just speculating here, that someone could be in Chicago all of those years, one of the biggest gambling towns in the country, and not be at least somewhat acquainted with some bookies? who then are going to call their friends. How else does that line go down from 75 to 1 to like 5 to 1 or 3 to 1? McMahon said it. He liked to gamble. Not him. Mike Ditka liked to gamble. <laughs> and he said, I care. And at the end, he actually kind of backed off a little. He says, well, I don't know for sure. Then at the end, he goes, you know, I, I pretty much guarantee it. It's like he's saying that, that not only wouldn't it be a shock, he's saying it's more likely than not that Ditka bet on. Now think about it. It's one thing to bet on the Super Bowl, right? With your own team to bet on them. But to bet something quirky like that and then make it happen through your decision, that is, a coach's decision, is would be like so much worse, in my opinion, than Pete Rose. Now, Pete Rose did it many, many, many times. But saying just blindly betting on your team is one thing. To bet something quirky that you then make a decision to make happen is like what people say about like the national anthem. Oh, they should go bet a million dollars and make it real slow. It's like, well, those props don't have a big enough. But in this case, that's exactly, if it's true, what McMahon's speculating is exactly what happened. We'll get more reaction to this uh, Jim McMahon statement, and we'll find out from Fezzik if the Cavs are dead in the water after trading, it seemed like their entire team, but first, Ralph Irvin with the latest. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, and it was a pretty busy night in the NBA. Seven games going on. New Orleans needed double overtime before they won in Brooklyn, 138-128. Anthony Davis, 44 points. 17 rebounds, four New Orleans players over 20 points in the game. Milwaukee beat Orlando 111-104. Philadelphia 112-98 over the Clippers. Washington took out Chicago 101-90. Dallas 130-123 over the Lakers. Golden State 122-105. They beat San Antonio. Clay Thompson at 25 points. Denver had three players over 20 points. They beat Phoenix 123-113. Upsets in the top 10. Virginia Tech, an overtime win over number two, Virginia, 61-60. Small upset, number four, Michigan State takes out number three, Purdue, 68-65. And Baylor hammers number 10, Kansas, 80-64. to At the Olympics, well, the U.S. has won their first gold. That coming in snowboarding, the slope-style event for the men. Teenager Red Gerard wins the event. The women's event postponed to Monday due to heavy winds. The U.S. right now with just the one gold medal so far. The Germans have two gold medals. They entered the games at plus 160 for most golds. And the Netherlands, one gold, two silvers, and a bronze. That's four total medals. They entered Pyeongchang, guys, at plus 1,600 to win the medal count. I got to be honest. I think we're having an effect on Ralph. <laughs> Straight out of Vegas. He's trying to blend in with the show. No, I think. Giving us juicy info. You ever see where, like, someone has a talk show and they're getting (laughs) a little older and they have to, like, have, you know, like, Phil Donahue having Madonna on or something? You could tell they're, like, they're mispronouncing the name. They're making faces when they say Ralph just seems like like his, the truth is finally coming out. Smooth, smooth. Yeah, yeah, he's, uh, very, he's very comfortable. <laughs> We're about three minutes away from getting uh, Fezzik's take on the Cavs' trades this week because a lot of people freaked out, and one Vegas book actually dropped the Cavs down uh, from 10 to 12 to 1 for the title odds. But we were talking about this crazy story that we started a couple of weeks ago. We followed up with Jim McMahon about Mike Ditka, the prop bet with the fridge. What do you think happens from here if someone actually goes and asks Ditka about it I wonder what he'll say, and I wonder if any other teammates on the 85 Bears, because that was that was a crazy team. I wonder if they 
suspected that was a possibility as well, that Ditko may have bet the prop on Fridge, and that's why he gave him a chance. They were up 37-3. He said, all week, we're not doing it, and all of a sudden, Fridge is getting the ball instead of number 34, Walter Payton. Well, first, I think uh, it's time for Cofield, the square chair, to take a bow, right? He heard the story last week, and he did the research, got ready, got McMahon on air, and asked the question in a way that he opened up to, I mean, to me, what's going to happen here is I'm going to tweet this out at RJ in Vegas, and it is going to become a big story because I don't, I can't imagine it not becoming a big story because it's a very valid question. This would be, and I'm not saying, I'm not being a moralist here. I'm not saying how bad it is, but I'm saying however bad you think any gambling is, any gambling by people who are participants, this is, I mean, let's think about it a second. Open question. This is the closest thing, like obviously point shaving is the worst, right? So point shaving is you're favored, your team's favored by a lot, you win, and but you don't win by the spread, so people who bet the dog cover, right? Now, the worst is fixing a game, right? Back in the day when there wasn't a spread, it was even more egregious because you'd have to lose a game, right? It's one thing, and that's what they tell the kids. They say, oh, it's 10 at, or um, you're a 12-point favorite. Does it matter if you win by eight or 14? And it, the, How the Boston College betting scandal went down. It's every, you guys can still win, but you know, just don't win by as much as you're supposed to. Exactly. So fixing a game's the worst. Point shaving second is... Fezzik is third. What else on that spectrum is worse than making? And again, we're going by what Jim McMahon speculated, and he felt pretty strongly in his speculation. We've got the tape. There's no speculation about what he said. Is assuming that McMahon's right, the quarterback of that team, and Dicka bet on a significant underdog that was as high as 75 to one for a very unlikely event. He tells everyone it's not going to happen to keep the odds up. And then he makes the coaching decision to make it happen. And it had nothing to do with winning the game. It wasn't like, well, that's the only way we could win. It was in, you know, the time where it didn't really matter. They were up so big. It wasn't affecting anything except that prop to make that decision. That feels like that's next on the spectrum after point shaving. I think it's right on par with point shaving. It's basically the same thing. You're going to win the game, but you're altering how you're going to win it. Yeah, I would give him a little bit of a break in that it's not not point shaving involves the integrity of the game as you're not playing the way as hard as you typically would here. They were still playing hard. It was just a specific way to play hard. They're up 37 to three late in the third quarter. So they can afford to do it. He already had two touchdowns and McMahon also told us in that interview, they actually had a play uh, in place if they wanted to have fridge throw a pass, <laughs> but that would, but that's interesting because that wouldn't have, if he threw a pass, he didn't score a touchdown. Good point. Uh. <laughs> so, Take your bows, Cofield. Good stuff. And you know, the funny thing is on that, I I actually put that question in place of talking about his headband and the Super Bowl shuffle. Well, I'm if, kidding. I, I just, like, that's was, kind of the nonsense we usually ask about. But, but this time I was like, hey, RJ told us a good story. Let's find out from one of the 85 Bears if there was any inkling that something was up with Fridge getting the ball that may have not just been in the flow of the game. Here's what I know. If the game, if that game were being played today, is there'd be a big, big prop. Would the team do the Super Bowl shuffle 
on the field after yeah, the game. Right. It would have been very different. <laughs> but guys, listen, honest to God is you hear the national guys, you get to hear Cofield nationally right here on Straight Out of Vegas. But this is a guy 15 hours a week grinding here in Vegas, doing the work. If you like typical sports talk or you like the really good debate, Stephen A. Smith, Colin Cowherd, Clay Travis, that type of thing, his Twitter, at Steve Cofield, really good follow. Yes, Steve Cofield along with R.J. Bell, Brad Powers, Fezzik, straight out of Vegas. I appreciate that. That was very nice. Very That's nice. True. That's so, true. But, I wanna, but yeah. still. Talking about the great one, R.J. Bell. It's not still I mean, over the top. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> I got too much shine there. Let's move on. <laughs> so you're heard, good. Yeah, but not on not RJ. <laughs> so I heard a lot of people when they saw, and this is actually you know a lot of the sports talk people when we saw the Cavs trade away, uh, a lot of familiar names were like, "That's it. They traded away the whole team. Cavs stink. Uh, now you know drop them for the title odds in Las Vegas at the Westgate LV Superbook. They dropped from ten to one to twelve to one." You don't agree that the Cavs actually go backwards with all these trades. Oh, I strongly disagree. I think that the Cavs completely should go to being the favorite. Now, let me reset. Well, hold on. The favorite to in what? The east, in oh, the East. Geez. In the East. In the East. In the East. I'm only going to talk I about. I think you're bearing the lead. I'm only going to talk <laughs> about the East here because Golden State's still a monster favorite to win it all. And because of that, there's three teams in the East, Toronto, Boston, and Cleveland. Cleveland, earlier in the year, was a monster favorite to win the East, like three to one favorite. By the time these trades occurred, those three teams are all perceived to be about equally by Vegas. They're all paying two to one. So we have this huge trade, and the odds are still two to one on all three of these teams. So which three teams? Toronto, Boston, Cleveland. To all, win the East. To win the East. They're all two to so, one. So really, the market's saying those three are co-favorites, and none of the three have a much better chance than any of the others. Exactly. So big drop-off after those big three. So what happens, Vegas has taken nothing but bets on Toronto and Boston to win the East as the Cavs have floundered all year long. They're one-sided, two-sided, if you will. So the two-to-one for the three teams was when? That's what it was as of the trade, as of the big trade for the Cavs. After the trade. Right, but before that, Toronto was getting 4-1, to one, Boston was getting 5-1, to one, so the public and the wise guys were betting both those teams. So Vegas is not balanced. They are rooting for the Cavs yeah, to I, win the Yeah, I don't East. care about any of that. So I'm trying to really get what you're trying to say. So let's zero in. Is a couple days before the trading deadline, just answer my specific questions, all right? Couple days before the trading deadline, what were the odds on the three teams to win the East? Just broad strokes. They were all equal. They're all two to one. So this was before the trading deadline. Yes. So at the time you were saying the non-Cavs teams were four to one, five to one. When was that? That was about two months ago. All right. So you're saying that starting the season and then moving into a month or two into the season, it was Cavs really high, and then the other two teams, and those two teams are Toronto and Boston. Were clearly underdogs relative to the Cavs. Each week that go, went by and the Cavs underperformed and those teams played well, it got closer and closer and closer. And then leading up to the trading deadline, so a couple days before, they were at 2-1 to one each. So now saying coin flip amongst these three teams. Yes. All right. What happened after the trading deadline? In Vegas, nothing. The odds stayed exactly the same. And there's real opportunity, RJ, because I think the Cavs are not just going to be better – I think they're going to be significantly better because they unloaded players that were not a good fit for the Cavs and were bad for chemistry, and they have significant upgrades with four solid players. I, I totally disagree, and here's why. And I'm not saying I'm right. I think it's very possible the Cavs are as good 
or maybe a smidge better once this group becomes uh, in sync. But how long does it take teams to get in sync when you have many new players? Right, We always go back to Miami with the big three and how what, what was that famous? They started like nine and eight that year. And now you've got players that aren't near as good as those players, you know, around LeBron. Is could it be that they this team, if they played a whole year together, maybe is better in kind of a fantasy rotisserie perspective? But the reality on the court's gonna be they're gonna be struggling to try to be cohesive as a team. I agree in the first month, but they got two months before so, so the playoffs. Now start. it's just the first month. The first month, they, they I think they're going to struggle. By the second month, they're going to be figuring it out. By playoff time, they're clearly the Cavs. Be, the Cavs are clearly going to be the best team in the East. RJ, by the time the playoffs start, RJ, how much worse can they be? They're eight and fourteen straight up in their last twenty-two games. I don't know. Because let's be candid. If we want to say that these players they added are better than the players that left, that's just a smidge. They're younger. But the idea that on the court they're better, I think that's even borderline debatable. So the question is, if they don't get as cohesive, they're going to be worse as a team. If the players are equally as good, but less cohesion, you're worse. Brad gets his chance to fire back on the other side. Straight out of Vegas, Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas, Geico, Fox Sports Radio Studios. Jumping on it. Jumping on it quick. Great news. There's a quick way. You can save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you can save 15% or more on car insurance. You know, that's one of the things I love about having, you know, some guys, and they're amazing here on Fox. They do, like, four-hour shows, and, you know, they're awesome, but it's hard to have a sense of urgency for four hours, right? We have an hour Friday to Saturday. We're just jumping to get the info in. Speaking of that, we had the breaking news story Really, uh, I think it's going to be big on Jim McMahon talking about Mike Dick uh, potentially. He said likely betting the fridge on that Super Bowl prop. But one of the guys hanging around the show tonight made a good point. Dick played, he grew up in Pittsburgh and played at Pitt. So if you had to say what are two of the five biggest betting towns, in especially the era that Dick grew up in, Pittsburgh would be on that list, and Chicago would be on that list. So, again, we're just speculating in this regard. But, man, the idea that Dicka didn't know a handful, if not more, of serious bookies after all those years, I would think he did. That's RJ Bell. I'm Steve Cofield. Brad Powers. Fezzik here as well. Did you want to counter on the Cavs are going to have enough time to improve to be the player in the East with these new guys? Yeah, we'll let Brad jump in a second. But, guys, if you missed that, remember, our podcast is, is available through the Fox system. And also, I tweeted out at RJ in Vegas after every show the next morning. And if you didn't hear it, you should. Well, I was just making the point that they couldn't get any worse than what they've been. I mean, historically, this is a Cleveland team against the spread. Historically, one of the worst ever, 16-37, and 6-20 and 20 against the spread at home. And they were already dealing with cohesive problems because Isaiah Thomas was inserted in the lineup here recently in the last 10 or 15 games. He was a pure cancer. I'm saying they can't get well, any worse hold on than a what second. Hold on a second. How do we know that Isaiah Thomas was a cancer? Let, let's agree that Isaiah Thomas didn't um didn't wasn't in sync with the Cavs team. But from what I hear in in Cofield, you you follow this stuff very closely. He was a warrior with the Celtics. Whereas he was injured, there was times that he could have easily not played. 
And the lack of physicality you're seeing now from him, probably never to return, it would seem he gave that, he gave his body to the Celtics. So it seems like that if there was a problem on the Cavs and J.R. Smith's involved and, and LeBron's involved, are we sure that the guy that was one of the true warriors last year was the problem? Well, the issue was that he was bad-mouthing the team and their effort, and that was really a negative. Which, which Is that a negative or is that a positive? It's a negative when you what, publicly what, do it, RJ. What would Popovich have done if, if he was coaching that team? Well, a couple of things. It's a negative when that's LeBron's job. Okay, and he's the boss, and maybe so now you're I stepping on his turf. But maybe, or maybe he's trying to tell the boss you're not doing your job. Yeah, but there's film on Isaiah Thomas not doing his job consistently on the defensive side of the ball. Well, That's the issue. But was that did he play worse defense this year than last year? Yes. Well, I don't know if you can get any worse than last year. I mean, there. Okay, was so then that's who they traded for. Good so point. how can you be a cancer if you're being yourself? If I hated you for having red hair, that'd be pretty stupid. He was also the ringleader on the Kevin Love spat that blew up three weeks ago. And just as an example, he gets traded to the Lakers, and this is not him, but it's his agent. His agent says, hey, when he goes to the Lakers, he ain't coming off the bench. He's a starter. It's well, like, you haven't even joined the team yet, and you have your agent, unless the agent went rogue and did it on his own, but your agent's you know, new team is like, hey, I'm starting or else. Oh, listen, I don't know about the agent and what led to that, but here's what I know. I look at this Cavs team. And I think most reasonable people are ambivalent about LeBron. You can't say he doesn't have amazing qualities and skills. Also, he doesn't seem to be a perfect leader. But I'm not even going to judge LeBron. You look at the rest of that Cavs team and compare their history character-wise, and I don't mean characters in are they drinking, doing drugs. I mean character as teammates versus what we saw from Isaiah Thomas in Boston. My bet on is on Isaiah being in the right. I wouldn't bet that. All right. I wouldn't bet Five that. Five teams in seven years for Isaiah Thomas now. But did he get to decide, or did he get traded? Maybe he wants to win too much. Had a historic playoff season. That was pretty much it. And they, done, and they, they he traded He was fifth him. in MVP voting. That's more than Right, but it says a lot that the Celtics are like, we'll, well, they got, we'll trade they this got guy. Kyrie for him. And it looks like now he's not going to get a long-term deal. He may have played himself into a one-year deal? Or maybe last year playing so hard when he was hurt is going to cost him all those millions. Join us next week, Friday night, 11 o'clock Pacific, straight out of Vegas, right here on Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.